0: The scene that had surrounded the crucifixion of our Savior was very chaotic. It began to be this chaos when the soldiers came into the garden as Christ was praying and he was with some of his disciples. And the soldiers came with the intent of arresting him. And they did. And uh, the scene there was not a very pleasant scene. There was some violence that was uh, shown there through Peter uh, in an effort to defend the Lord, there was uh, a great deal of hubbub going on as they took Christ into the presence of the scribes and the Pharisees and some of the, the leaders, this, the religious leaders of his day. And they, they were accusing him and really having trouble coming up with anything that really could stick because he had no sin. And so they had to concoct some charges against him. And the next day, they took him before Pilate, to be tried. And it was a mockery. They, they again brought the false witnesses. And there was no cause for Christ to be put to death. Let alone to be beaten. And yet he was. And the mob began to cry out. Crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. And when they were given the opportunity to release a prisoner. They cried for one called Barabbas. And... Um, He was set free instead of our Savior. We know that this was part of God's plan, and we understand that the violence that Christ suffered at the cross was really a physical suffering that was inflicted upon him by cruel people, the Roman soldiers, the religious leaders of his day. But there was a much greater suffering that he experienced than the physical suffering and the anguish that he went through. And that was the separation that he experienced from the Father. And this horrible experience that he went through was really an expression of his love for us. And he died. When he died, everything changed. Instead of a chaotic scene, instead of mass confusion, everything became very quiet and everything became very still. The people were wondering about something for which they had no answer. The sky had gone dark for three hours and they did not know why. The words that Jesus spoke from the cross were haunting them. The first expression that He gave was an expression of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then, the cry of his heart, that was an expression of his anguish over the spiritual separation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, he was dying for our sins. He was paying the penalty that our sins deserve, in that we deserve separation from God for all eternity. And here is God the Son, paying the price Himself. Then He made a statement that was astounding. One word. Tetelestai. In our English, it's translated in three. It is finished it's a commerce word a commercial word it's a word that says paid in full it would be a word that you would stamp upon a receipt once a person has paid the price of that which they had purchased it is finished and the people are wondering what was finished And then he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he died. Those who had followed him are now confused. They did not expect this, they were not anticipating the events that were unfolding in front of them. They were surprised. At the things that had occurred, the words that he had spoken, the events that took place, those that had heard the words of the Roman soldier who pierced his side with the spear and saw that blood and water came out, they recognized that he was dead. They were now afraid because they had been followers of this one who had been cruelly put to death. But even more than that, they're disappointed because they really believed that this one that they looked at as one who loved them dearly and they loved, had left them. And they were expecting him to set up a kingdom. And so they're quite confused. They don't know exactly how to respond. And so what is happening here on earth is very confusing and quiet and... And it's surrounded in mystery, and and people are wondering, what is going on? And if we had lived at that time, we'd have been caught up in that same environment. We, We would have had the same reaction and the same response, and we'd have wondered, what in the world is happening? And so now everything is very, very quiet. But that's not the way it was in heaven we often forget that while these events were unfolding here on earth, there were things that were taking place in a realm that our human eyes do not see. Things of great excitement, things that would transform the future of multitudes of individuals. And in the reading that we had this morning, we're given a little bit of a glimpse of that. I'd like you to turn back in your Bible, if you will, please, to John, the 20th chapter. And there's one verse that just jumps out and gives us a little peephole through which to look. And it gives us the basis upon which we have to ask some very important questions that are going to be answered for us in a variety of different places throughout Scripture. If you'll look down at verse 17... Mary, if I can just set the scene, has been weeping. And, and as we read, she, she hears a voice behind her and she thinks it's the gardener and she wants to know, where have you taken the body of the Savior? See, she did not understand what was going on. She didn't have a clue as to what was unfolding in front of her. And she said, if you'll just tell me where you've taken him, I'll take care of the body. I, please, just let me know. And then... Jesus says her name in such a way that she recognizes immediately who it is. Mary. It was a voice that she had heard many times before and now could recognize very easily. And she turned and from our vantage point we almost have to imagine what her response was. But I think we're given a clue that she fell at his feet and probably grasped him. Because her her mind is beginning to lay hold of the reality of what has happened. And when she lays hold of his feet, he speaks to her these words. Verse 17. Do not cling to me For I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus gives us this glimpse of what he is about to do. And it really corrects a lot of the misconceptions that we often have. We have a picture in our mind that Jesus ascended into heaven in the account that's given to us in the the book of Acts when he ascends into the clouds and the angel says to the disciples, this same Jesus which you have seen taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. But the reality is this. That was not the only time he ascended into heaven. This verse tells us that. The present tense of the second usage of the word ascending tells us that there was a process in which he was going back and forth to heaven, back to earth, to heaven, to earth. And there's a reason for all of that. We're going to talk about that reason shortly. But before we do, I want you to take a look at what is happening among the angels. When the angels see what's going on, they begin to realize that a plan was being fulfilled that God had put in place even before they were created. And here are the angels. They had watched part of the creation. And I say part of the creation because they were not there initially when the world was called into being. But subsequently to that, the angels were created and they got to see the powerful hand of God as He began to unfold His creative plan and as He garnishes the heavens and as He brings order to the earth and He places upon earth mankind. And they watched. It is... The angels who were called upon to make a decision as to whether or not they would follow the rebellion of the anointed cherub whose name is Satan who rebelled against a holy creator and decided that he wanted to become God. He wanted to express the pridefulness of his being and chose to rebel against the creator. And there were those angels who chose to follow him in his rebellion and they were cast out of heaven and others remained and stayed faithful to the one who had created them. And these angels are now seeing this plan unfold. These are the angels who had been given the responsibility of watching over the people of Israel as God led them through the wilderness following their freedom from the land of Egypt. The the symbol of bondage that communicates to us the freedom that Christ gives from the bondage of sin. And here are the angels helping those people wander through the wilderness and arrive at the land that God had promised them. These are the angels who spoke in chorus when the birth of Jesus Christ was being announced. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. These are the angels who had been given charge over those who shall be the heirs of salvation. And I think it's from that particular passage that we get the idea of a guardian angel. And in a a real sense, there is the involvement of angelic individuals who are given to God's people to watch over them and, and are part of the process that God has made to see that his people get safely home. These are the angels that are going to participate with God in the pouring out of his wrath. In those years of tribulation, when God pours his wrath upon the earth and exhausts his wrath as it is poured out upon the earth, and they will be part of that. These are the angels who are going to be called upon to take Those who do not know the Savior and take them away for judgment at the second coming of Christ. These are the angels who long to look into the redemption that God has provided through the person of Jesus Christ. There is no redemption for angels. The fallen angels are lost forever. They have no Redeemer. But those angels that remain faithful to God are now watching as those who know Christ as Savior live out their lives as those who have been redeemed and they learn about the redemptive plan of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as they watch us. So you and I are not alone we have a tendency to focus our attention only on the things that we see and that we can touch. But the Bible tells us there's another reality. A reality that is taking place at the moment of Christ's resurrection. And it's a reality that involves these angels. And if you'll go back to the Scriptures, I want you to notice how some of these angels had been dispatched. Here are at least two angels that are at the tomb, and they have been dispatched to, in some cases, to watch over the body of Christ until the time of resurrection had come. But then they were there to announce the resurrection of the Savior. We read about that here in John chapter 20, but let me read to you also another passage. In the fifth verse of uh, Matthew chapter 28, it says this, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen as He said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Can you imagine being this angel who now has the privilege of being the first to announce the resurrection of the Savior? He's alive! The one that you thought had died. The one who brought such quietness. Around you, and such confusion and concern, and and the one over whom you are now afraid, he's alive. And Mary and the other women, if I can put it in today's vernacular, are blown away. And they tell the disciples, and the disciples are blown away. And now on earth, People begin to lay hold of the realities of what God had planned from before the creation, before the foundation of the earth was laid. These angels were given the privilege of reminding the disciples of what Christ had said. You see, on at least three separate occasions before, Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, there I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die but I will rise again. And the people, they, for some reason, it just didn't register. It just didn't sink in. And here are the disciples who are confused over the realities of what they were hoping would happen, and now things have unfolded completely differently, and it takes an angel to say to them, don't you remember what Christ told you when he walked with you? He told you this was going to happen. This shouldn't have taken you by surprise. He told you He would die. As a matter of fact, even the Old Testament prophets told us that. We were reminded last week in the observance of the the Seder meal that Isaiah 53 graphically told us what would happen. Psalm 22 graphically told us what would happen. And so when we we turn even to the, the prophets, we find that this death and resurrection had already been declared. And now the angel has the privilege of saying, Don't you remember? He told you this was going to happen. And then he has the opportunity to instruct the disciples on what Christ, the resurrected Christ, wants them to do. If you'll listen with me, please, to Matthew chapter 28. I just want to read two verses here. The angel is continuing to speak, and he says, and go quickly and tell his disciples. This is where he was talking to the women who had come. See, Mary had made several trips back and forth to the tomb, and one time she came back with other women. And it says, go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. So now these angels that have been dispatched have carried out their responsibilities. They have, they have expressed the resurrection. They have told of what Christ was going to do in the days immediately following that resurrection. And he was going to make his way back north to the, to the region of Galilee. And there, he would be meeting with his disciples. And this process is going to go on for about 40 days. But you remember, Christ is not just sitting in some corner somewhere. He is ascending to the Father. And what happens while he's ascending? Well, there were angels who were not only dispatched, but there were also angels who were observers. They were sitting in the stadium, so to speak. And they're watching this entire event unfold. And they see Christ do something that sets their thinking straight. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the tenth verse, it says this. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. All right. Here's where we have to use our imagination. Imagine, if you will, that you are one of the angelic creation and you have observed all of these events unfolding. You observed the birth of Jesus. You observed his growing up years. You watched as he developed. You watched as he grew and became a man. You watched as He went hungry and as He had no place to sleep. You watched as His disciples were being instructed and you watched when He was arrested and submitted Himself to the authorities that had taken Him captive. Here's where you have to imagine. What would be going on in your mind as you watch that? That's the Creator. See, the Bible tells us it was God the Son who called everything into being. He is before all things. And by Him all things hold together. This is the Creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And by Him... All things were made. What's going on? Has he, has he abrogated some of his deity? Has he released himself from his equality with the Father? And you watch as he dies. And you say, how can this be? And then you see his body laid in the grave. And you're watching. And then you watch as that body comes back to life. And you watch as it comes out of the tomb. And by the way, I don't think the the stone was rolled away when he went out of the tomb. I think he walked out of the tomb. Period. They rolled the stone away so others could look in. That's why. And here he now is walking upon the face of the earth again. Mary grabs his feet, he says, don't don't grasp me, I, I am ascending to my Father. And then we read what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says this, this one who had died, ascended beyond the heavens. Very important. He went to where there is no creation. the angels could only dwell within the realm of that which was created. They couldn't go any farther. But he went to where only God exists. And he made a declaration that could not be misunderstood. I am still God. I haven't given up any of my deity. I gave up the free use of my power in the Incarnation, and I gave up (laughs) the effulgence of my glory in the creation, but I am still God. And the angels understand as they never have before, the one who became a man is still the Creator. He is still God. And they observed. And then I want you to also notice this. In Colossians chapter 2, the 15th verse Jesus did something to show that his death was absolutely and completely effective. Colossians 2.15 says this, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In his death, his burial, and his resurrection, Christ conquered the enemies of God and the enemies of mankind. And he did something that was consistent with the atmosphere of his day. When a Roman general conquered an enemy, he would take his army and he would march with his army behind him. But then he would take those who had been captured and he would march them in defeat and in degradation as they would follow the army that had conquered them. Many of them were on their way to jail. Many of them were on their way to execution. And they would follow this train of soldiers and the general who had led them into battle and had become the conqueror. And here now is this image that the people fully understand. Christ takes His enemies and He marches them before the angelic host and they see their defeat. He conquered the power of sin. He conquered the fear of the grave. He conquered and will ultimately put aside and remove from experience completely the reality of death. It will be the final enemy that is put away. And he was the victor. And the angels are watching and they're saying, This Christ who rose from the dead is the victor. He won. And my enemies have been defeated. Your enemies have been defeated. And it's all because of the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a scene. What a scene. The angels got to see it all. But it's more than just the angels. What was the scene like in the heavenly temple? You say, the heavenly temple, yeah. The Bible tells us that there is a reality that is more real than what you and I see here on earth. Now, you and I know this, that the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed in 70 A.D. It was destroyed by the, the Roman soldiers under uh, the, the General Titus. He, he leveled the temple, and in its place today stands a Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock, the uh, Mosque of Omar. And that is going to be removed just so you're aware of that. The day is coming that that will go, and there will be another earthly temple. But here's the reality. The earthly temples are merely an image of the heavenly temple. The reality is what we see here on earth is only a reflection. It is a shadow of the reality. But see, we can't touch it right now, so we we have trouble grasping that. I, I don't see it with my eyes, so I'm not so sure I buy into this. But, but God said that the temple in heaven is real, and it is the reality. I want you to turn with me, if you will, please, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, the ninth chapter. And I want you to take a look at this scene in this heavenly temple that's unfolding. In Hebrews chapter 9... Beginning at the 11th verse, and then I'm going to read again. We'll stop reading at the 14th, and then I'll drop down to the 23rd verse, and you feel free to read in between those at your leisure today. Beginning at verse 11, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation... Why? Because this is inferior. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sacrifices for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Here's the picture. Christ takes the blood that He shed on earth in one of His ascensions, and He enters the heavenly temple there to bring about the cleansing that is necessary for a holy God to meet with a sinful man. And there was a defilement that took place when the angels fell. And now that defilement is cleansed by the sacrifice of Christ and the presence of His blood in the heavenly temple. Drop down to verse 23. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. Now he's speaking of the earthly elements. But you notice he says they're just copies. They're not... They're not really the real thing. The real thing is in heaven. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once but after this the judgment so Christ was offered once To bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. Do you see the picture? Christ entered heaven with his blood. And he cleansed the defilement that would occur by man's presence with the Father, which, by the way, Man is not present with the Father at this point. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? Stay with me. You'll see. But now the heavenly temple has been prepared. Do you understand this? It's been prepared for you and for me. It's the only way you and I can ever enter into the presence of a holy God. It took the death of Christ, the shedding of His blood. It took His resurrection and His ascension to go into heaven to prepare the temple for us to be able to come into the presence of God. But it has to be through the Son. You don't work your way to heaven. You don't get baptized to go to heaven. You don't give money to go to heaven. You don't give good, or do good deeds to go to heaven. You trust in the person of Jesus Christ and what he did for you at the cross of Calvary in dying for your sins and then rising from the dead and entering into the heavenly holy of holies with his blood to cleanse so that you and I can go into the presence of God. And it has to be through Christ. It's not through anything else. It's not through anyone else. It is Christ and Him alone. And unless you are planning to spend eternity separated from God, the only way you will ever find entrance into heaven is through the person of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what this day is about. Our Christ, our Savior, our Messiah, rose from the dead so that He could ascend into heaven with His blood and there cleanse the heavenly temple so that we can come. And He opened the way for us to arrive through that shed blood of Christ and then do you know what he did? He sat down. The work was done. Ah, do you remember? Do you remember the question? die It is finished. Paid in full. What more has to be offered for your sins and mine to be forgiven? Nothing. The invitation is there for all who will trust Christ as their Savior and the Savior as God puts into words so we understand it. There is the glory of the Father and on His right side is God the Son who is seated. And the Bible tells us there are two reasons for which He's seated there. He's seated there to make intercession for us and he's seated there to be our advocate. He intercedes on our behalf. When we have to walk through a life that is filled with sorrow and heartache and difficulties and illness and death and hurt and abandonment and all sorts of things we have. And we have someone who is an intercessor who is praying on our behalf to the Father so that we might receive the benefits of the sons of God. And then when he sees us fail which we do he says when the judge says ah did you see Brian Wingenroth? Did you see what he did? He just sinned. And the great accuser of the brethren. And folks you all understand. This is in words so we understand them. God is telling us that the accuser of the brethren. Will come and say did you look and see what Brian Wingenroth did. And the father will look at the son. And the son will say. "To tell die. It's finished. It's all paid in full. There is therefore now no condemnation. To them who are in Christ Jesus, He can never be condemned, and it's all because of Jesus. What a scene! The angels, the heavenly temple. But there's one more scene. There's something going on in paradise. You say, wait a minute, paradise isn't that the same of heaven, or same as heaven? It is now. But it wasn't at the time of Christ's death. Paradise was located in proximity to the place where the lost dead went and suffered punishment. We Several weeks ago, those of you who are our guests today, you, you weren't with us, but we looked at the events that took place with the rich man and Lazarus and how uh, th- this, this area of suffering where this rich man had gone because he was not a believer and, and he was suffering now for all eternity, he was close enough to be able to yell across what the Bible describes as a great gulf. And he he was yelling to Abraham, and he was wanting Abraham to send someone from the dead to tell his brothers, don't come to this place, it is awful, you don't want to be here. Well, paradise is where Abraham and all the believers prior to the coming of Christ had gathered. The dead, the dead lost in suffering, in Hades, and then in proximity to that, paradise. Paradise. When Jesus died on the cross, one of the thieves said to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believed what Jesus had said. He he was in agreement with Jesus. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Today you will be with me, not in heaven, in paradise. And Jesus died. And then the soldiers came along and they broke the legs of that man. The reason they broke his legs was so he would suffocate. He could no longer... (gasps) (sighs) (sighs) No, now the legs are broken. And he dies. And he opens his eyes and Jesus is waiting for him. You're with me in paradise. But the one who was crucified for us, the Bible tells us, led captivity captive. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that paradise on one of these ascensions of Christ was taken into heaven Why? Because prior to that ascension, He went into the heavenly holy of holies with His own blood to cleanse it so that man could meet with God, a holy God, men who were sinful, but cleansed by the blood of Christ can now come into the presence of the Father, and now when we die, we go right to heaven. If we know Christ is our Savior. What an incredible thing God has done for us! What an incredible event that took place in the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascensions of Christ. And then the day came when Jesus ascended for the final time, 40 days after His resurrection, and He went into the presence of the Father, departing from His disciples in a cloud. And there are the angels again. This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And now we wait for the Savior to return. He's coming back to take those who are his to be with him. And should we die before that event takes place? The Bible says that the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The angels are back in the picture again. The loud trumpet. The voice of an archangel. And the Lord will descend And we will be with him forever. I say we. I hope that includes you. There's only one person who can determine that, and that's you. It's great to have you with us today. It's great that you've come to be part of this service. It's great to have an interest in the things that surround the resurrection of Christ. But the greatest thing that will ever happen with you is if you reach out in faith and you put your trust in the crucified, buried, and risen Savior. He's not here, Mary, for he has risen as he said. He's coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready? Can you answer? I, 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 please don't say yes if, you, if you're not sure. If you're not sure and you would like help, I'll, I'll love to talk to you. I'll hang around down here and we will talk and we'll explain further what it means to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But if you've trusted Him as your Savior, if you've trusted Him maybe today, and you've said, you know, for the first time, I get this. This, this makes sense. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose again from the dead. I trust him. You've already received eternal life. It's nothing anybody can do for you. It's what you do with the person of Christ. And then he gives life. You know the neat thing? He gives it more abundantly. (laughs) Greatest life there is, is to be a Christian. Greatest life. I hope you'll join with us. Let's stand. Father, the plan that you established is far greater than anything we could have proposed. The one who knew no sin becoming sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That transfer of our guilt to the Savior and the transfer of His righteousness to us is a blessing that could only come because of Your grace. And so, Father, we thank You for that grace. And we thank You for Your love. And we thank You for a risen, living Savior. Amen.